Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start reading verse 13. You're going to notice that there's a, it starts with therefore, which means we'd have to back up a little more to get the context. But we're going to start at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13, reading through verse 21. This is the word of our Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you bless the reading and especially the preaching of your word this afternoon. We pray that your spirit be upon us for asking Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. But it's great to be with you here this morning. As you notice there, verse 13 starts with a therefore, and the therefore is connecting what we read here this morning with uh, what Peter said a little earlier, where he said that you and I have been born into a living hope, a living hope that allows us to live in a certain way. We've been uh, foreordained from eternity past to come to know Jesus Christ, and in history, the Spirit of God worked in our hearts and changed the heart that was a heart of stone to be a heart of flesh. He granted us the ability to believe in Jesus Christ, and we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have a living hope. And that hope enables us to live for His glory. In the Peter epistles, First and Second Peter, the, the hope that we have is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls us to live as pilgrims in this land, looking for that great hope that the Lord Jesus is coming. That this life is not all there is. That we are living as pilgrims. This is not home. We are living as pilgrims toward our final home and with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to heaven. And in the scriptures, heaven is not the place where... Sometimes for that way, but largely it's not the place where we go immediately upon death. Now we do go to what we can call heaven. We go to be with the Lord Jesus after death. But our eternal hope is the physical resurrected existence before Christ with him so that we can see him as he is for we shall be like him. And that's the hope that, that pushes us from behind and pulls us from the front as we keep on going, as we keep on living here. Now, living in fear is usually not a good thing. And yet, our lives are often filled with fears. Fear that we are going to get hurt in a relationship, or 
whether God will provide us for us financially, fear that we are not going to be loved, fear that we're going to be alone, fear that our kids will not turn out or that they will not like us, fear that we won't be accepted by our peers or that our lives won't count for anything, fear of failing as a husband, fear of failing as a wife, fear that our health will never be the same. And these and many other fears have make life difficult and, frankly, frightening as we live uh, our lives in this earth. But there's one fear that calms all the other fears. It is the fear of our Father in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's at the center of this passage that we read here this morning. We are called to live in fear of our Lord, and that's a good thing. That's why the the title of this sermon is Living in Fear. We are called to live in fear. But it's a good fear, the fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, the apostle, summarizes the same thing that Peter is teaching here in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, Therefore... Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So Peter teaches us that the fear of the Lord shows itself in our lives. And it shows itself in the way that we obey God. The fear of the Lord should cause us to live holy lives, lives of obedience before the Lord. And I don't you notice here, our behavior is modeled after the character of God. For example, in verses 15 and 16, we are called to be holy. Why? He quotes from Leviticus, says, be holy for I am holy. We're called to be holy because our God is holy. In verse 17, we are to fear God because he is just. So the attributes of God cause us to live in a certain way as we fear Him. And this sermon will have two points and two points only. The first point is longer than the second point. So if you're timing it and say, oh man, you're still on the first point, don't worry. The first point is larger and longer. It's contrary to what our professors tell us to do in seminary, that all the points should be symmetrical to one another and mutually exclusive. There's no exclusivity here or symmetry in this sermon. Uh, And the first thing I want us to see is that we... Now, the Christian life is about a lot of actions, but one single motivation. And then the second point is I want us to see that this single motivation leads to a life of obedience he had demonstrated by five actions. So those are the only two things I want us to see out of this. Well, you can see more things, but these are the only two things I'm going to try to demonstrate to you from this passage here. So, lots of actions in the Christian life, but one single motivation, and that motivation is our redemption in Jesus Christ. That's what motivates everything else that we do in life. That's what flows from, uh, everything else flows from that single motivation. Now, Peter does exhort us to action here, and he gives us five actions. He tells us that we are to gird well, the ESV doesn't say that, but literally to gird up our, the loins of our minds. He tells us that we are to be sober. He tells us that we are to rest our hope fully on the grace of the return of Christ. He tells us that we are to conduct ourselves in holiness. And he says that we are to conduct ourselves in fear of the Lord. But he anchors the way of life he's calling us, uh, calling the church to, to live 
on the redemption that Christ accomplished for her. And we see that in verse 18. If you notice in verse 18, you're going to see that, you're going to find the word knowing there. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So notice there in verse 18 that Peter says that you and I are to do these five things that he mentioned here, knowing who we are in Christ. Uh, and the way he wrote it says that this is something we have known and continue to know. This knowing is something that we've known in the past and we continue to know here. And the implications are that it hasn't changed. It remains true. And that we need to be continually reminded of this knowledge that we have been redeemed in Jesus Christ. As we aim to behave as God wants us to behave, Peter wants us to know something. He wants us to know that God the Father redeemed us from slavery to aimless, purposeless, meaningless conduct. See that second part of verse 18. God the Father has redeemed us from that kind of life. And this aimless life was a sinful life because Peter describes it as a life of former desires, a life of former ignorances, a life of former lusts in verse 14 where he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's who we were and God has redeemed us from that. He says he's redeemed us from futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And this is the simple way of uh, the Gentiles. This letter is written to Gentiles. Older scholarship thought that this was a letter written to Jews because Peter, after all, was the apostle of the Jews. But when we actually start looking at the letter, you see that this was, uh, these were Gentiles congregations that he wrote to in Turkey. And he says, look, you've been saved out of the Gentiles. You've been saved from a people who had an awful way of lie living and believing. And you're brought here. You've been redeemed from that. Jesus Christ has redeemed all of us from our past. Jesus Christ has delivered us from any sort of generational sins. You know, some people think, oh, because my parents were this way, or my grandparents were this way, I'm bound to be this way. And, and here Peter says, no, if you're redeemed in Christ, you've been redeemed from those former ways of life. That's no longer what, what identifies you, what defines you. Jesus Christ has delivered us from our family traits, though sometimes we find, we find ourselves kind of, we feel like we're bound to them. I don't know if you guys who have kids ever thought that way. You know, I remember thinking, you know, my dad would talk in certain ways to me and, and uh, that felt demeaning or whatever. And I would think, I'll never talk to my kids that way. And then I had kids. And then I, 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 I'd, I'd say something and they would look around and say, was that my father who just said that? And yet we have been redeemed even from those traits that our families exhibited. We have, with Jesus Christ has delivered us from our upbringing. We live in a culture that says somehow uh, how you're brought up, that's what makes you, and you can't not do anything about that. But here Peter says, no, you've been redeemed from those futile ways. 
You, we are never stuck with what others have done to us. You're being redeemed from that. Now, if you choose to live a, a, a stuck life, that's your choice. But not because you have to. It's because you want to. Because you've been redeemed from those former ways of life. Here Peter says that God the Father redeemed us from slavery to sin through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 19 he says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So picture the churches there in Turkey, what's Turkey today, specifically the northern part of Turkey around the Black Sea. He writes, he's writing to them. And in those congregations, you'd have three kinds of people. You'd have slaves. You'd have those people who had been slaves, but either were freed or purchased their, their freedom. Those would be the freedmen. And then you had the people who were born free, but were very familiar with the institution of slavery. So he's speaking to those people, and when they hear the idea of being redeemed, they know exactly what Peter is talking about. They would have understood well the idea of redemption from slavery, which is the idea of being made free by the pain of a price. And in their case, and in our case, the price wasn't precious metals like silver or gold. As precious as those might be, their value wasn't enough to satisfy the debt that you and I incurred with God because of our sins. And even these precious metals will eventually lose their value and fade away. They will oxidize. To use layman's terms, they will rust. Even silver and gold technically rust because they oxidize and lose their value. The only thing that would satisfy the debt we incurred with God because of our sins would be an infinite payment made by the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened. You and I are redeemed by the blood of Christ, the perfect one, who paid, paid an infinite debt that you and I owe to God because of our sins against, against Him. Now, Peter's saying this. Peter's saying, you know how it, if a slave works really hard to gather some silver or gold, he can purchase his freedom. Well, you have been purchased, you have been redeemed with something more valuable, something pure, something that doesn't fade away, the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, something that you did not work for. And because of that, you are free from slavery to sin. If you are believing in Jesus Christ, you are free from the dominion of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. I think we, in the American church or in the church in general, we've, we've, we've learned to sound godly when actually we're just making excuses for our sins. We say, I'm a sinner, there's nothing I can do but sin. But that's not true. You have been redeemed from the power of sin. So when you sin, it's not because it somehow has a power over you and you cannot do anything about it. It's because you want to sin. Because the blood of Christ has redeemed you from the power of sin. In your life. That's the motivation for Christian life. Do you see here the reference to the Passover? When God's people were freed from the bondage 
of Israel. Remember the story of the Passover where Israel is instructed to kill a perfect lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the, the, the door frame so that when the angel of death would come by, it would see the blood. Some, somebody already died. Something already died for that family. So death would pass over and would go upon those who do not have a substitute for them. That's the imagery that Peter is painting for us here. Where death, because death had already come, they were freed from Egypt. And we too have been covered by the blood of the Lamb of God, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been bought at a very high price, the life of the Son of God. So the Apostle Paul says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. But how can that be? How is it that Christ's death became my death? How is it that his blood covers me? The answer is simple. Faith. Look at verses 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and give him glory. In eternity past, God, the triune God, planned our salvation. But that idea did not remain just an idea in God's mind. In history, the Lord Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life, a life that you and I cannot live. He died the death of separation that you and I deserve. And then he came back to life. So that when we believe in him, all that is counted as ours. And when God looks at you today, if you're believing in Jesus Christ, he sees perfection. But, but pastor, doesn't he know how many sins I've committed this week? Doesn't he know the evil desires of my heart? Doesn't he know how I rebel against him? Yes. And then he says, yes, and I love him and I love her. Very much, because I love him or her in my son. And my son is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he doesn't change. My love for them doesn't change either. And what Christ accomplished then becomes ours. And because we are redeemed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith and our hope are in God. See that at the end of verse 21. So that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and our hope is not in relationships. It's not in our spouses, in our kids, in our friends. We don't ultimately put our hope in people. People are great and we have to love them, but they make lousy gods. And the, mo- point, the moment we put our hope in people, we're going to be disappointed because they will fail us. Not because they're evil, but because they're people. And they're never meant to be the source of our hope. Our hope's not in our jobs. Our hope's not in the color of our skin. Our hope's not in the political affiliation. Our hope is not in substance. Our hope is not in money. Our hope's not in government. Our hope's not in theological aptitude. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we seek hope anywhere else, we're just being idolaters. And idolatry never satisfies. Even, even though it may be fun for a moment, it never satisfies. The Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, who struggled with the fear of men, 
And he's, so he starts with his letter right away by telling Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. There's a reason why Paul starts that. He wants to make sure that, that Timothy is putting his hope on the true hope of God's people, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this single motivation, the fact that we know that we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, leads to a life of action. We see that in verses 13 through 17. So because we have been redeemed from this aimless, purposeless, empty conduct, we now conduct ourselves differently than we would if we had not been redeemed. Our identity, brothers and sisters, are as it is obedient children. That's who we are, obedient children. Look at verse 14. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's who we are. That's our identity. Obedient children. Literally, children of obedience. As, as if our mother, because obedience is a feminine word in the literal language, our mother is obedience. And obedience begets obedience. So we are obedient children. That's, who, that's our identity. And that's how we need to think of ourselves. Because how we think of ourselves is going to dictate how we act. If we think of ourselves as only sinners that cannot do anything but sin, guess what we're going to do? That's what we're going to do. We're going to sin. But if we think of ourselves as obedient children, that's going to govern our action. And the battle with the flesh, then, becomes one in which by the grace of God and the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we can, we can win. This is really who we are. We are obedient children. That's our identity. And then Peter identifies five specific actions that flow from our redemption by the blood of Christ. And I want you to notice that the first three have to do with the mind. A lot of the battle against sin starts in the mind. And then two of them have to do with actual behavior and practice. And the first thing he says is that we are to, to use a older language, to gird up the loins of our minds. Which project is this one right here? Nathan, come over here. Put the cards down, come over here. Here on stage, front and center. What would you do to get ready to work? Do you, do you know how to work? Yeah. Are you lazy? Not really. Not really? Is he lazy? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do if, you now, somebody said, now, Nathan, Nathan, you need to get ready for work, to work. You need to go to the field, you need to go do, you guys do pigs or something? Yeah. You need to go do a, take care of a pig. I'm from the city, I have no idea what you do, so... What do you do? How would you prepare yourself physically? Just put on some dirty clothes. You put on some dirty clothes, right? So change from your church clothes. I'm assuming this is your church clothes. Yeah. And then put on some dirty clothes, right? Now, what would happen if you had a, your clothes would go all the way to your ankle? Probably have a tunic that would go all the way to your ankle. Would that get in the way of taking care of your pig pigs? Yeah. So what would you do? If you could not take it off, what would you do? Because that's all you're wearing. I don't know the difference. Take care of pigs naked might not be the thing, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly what girding up means. So they would bring the clothes around your waist, put in your belt. Now you're ready to fight. You're ready to serve. You're ready to work. And you can take care of okay, pigs. Thank you. That's exactly what Peter is calling us. Because you know that you redeemed in Jesus Christ, get ready to do mind work. Gird up the loins of your mind. No, don't let the stuff get in the way. Get ready to do some clear 
sinking there. That's really where obedience begins. And how we think and what dominates our mind. That's where obedience is going to begin. And that's why the Apostle Paul, in that very famous passage, says that we are to present ourselves how? As living sacrifices by doing what? Any R.C. Sproul fan in this, in this group? By the renewing of our minds. And then he lists in chapter 12 and 13 of Romans a bunch of things that is going to come as actions that flow from our mind that's being renewed. And it's a constant activity. We're constantly renewing our minds. In Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about sin. And he says that the way for us to overcome sin is to put off the things that are, in, that are inconsistent with it being a child of God. Then there's one middle element. Renew the thinking of our minds concerning sin. And then put on what's consistent with being a child of God. So we start... With the idea that we're redeemed in Jesus Christ, and that propels us to do mind work, to think rightly about stuff. And this is accomplished by thinking God's thoughts after Him. This is accomplished by letting the Bible inform us how we should think about every category of life. In a sense, the real Homo sapiens, you know, that's how um, science categorizes humans. The, the, the real homo sapiens is the Christian person. Because the Christian person is the one who can truly think and think properly. So the first action that our being redeemed in Christ pushes to is doing mind work. The second one is being sober. If you look at verse 13. <clears throat> Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... So being so reminded that you'll be free from intoxicating influences that keep your mind from working properly. And so in a, in a literal sense, but also in a figurative sense, what are things that can intoxicate our minds that are not necessarily alcohol or drugs, that can get, get our minds distracted, get our minds where we, we can't really have it to function and think properly? Damien, can you think of anything that can get in somebody that, that not, not literally... But what are things that can distract our minds that we can be so focused on that that we don't pay attention to what we need to pay attention? Video games, all right. Not that Damien would know anything about that. It's just that he heard, he heard about it from somebody else, right? Uh, Ambrose, what's something else that could... Money. Money, all right. Uh, from a lot of us, social media, right? The constant, mindless... Scrolling, I'm reading a book, uh, Digital Liturgy, currently. And in that book, he talks about digital sleep, where people prefer to remove themselves out of the real life and just constantly be in social media in the digital world while com being completely ignorant, not ignorant, but disconnected from everything else. That's also not having a sober mind. Because we know we're redeemed, we're to have a sober mind, have a mind that's able to think properly. And interpret things properly around us. Putting ourselves in a position that we... That having a sober mind is putting ourselves in a position that we can think clearly. And that's as amazingly important as we fight the devil. The devil is a real being. And he does attack believers. He's not interested in the world. 
He's not out there. Uh, we're reading a book again as a, as a church. Uh, every year we read a couple books together at the church. This year is called Taking Heaven by Storm by Thomas Watson. And Watson says in that book that Satan never misses church. He's always in church because that's where he can tempt people, the, God, people, the people of God better because that's where uh, they are. It's interesting in the Puritan mind, the concept of God's people not being church on the Lord's Day is like completely... Uh, uh, foreign, Satan is attacking. Uh, he is defeated, but he's continuing to attack, and he's going to take as many as he can down with him. And as, as our Lord says, that he would even attempt to deceive, he attempts even to deceive the elect if it, was, if it were possible. And having a sober mind is important in our fight against Satan. For later on in the same epistle, Peter says in, in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober minded, be vigilant. vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, doing what? Seeking him, seeking whom he may devour. So we have, we gird up our loins, get ready for mind work, we are sober so our minds are thinking clearly, and then we rest our hope fully on the grace of the return of Jesus Christ. We see that again in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, our Lord is coming back, and that is our blessed hope. We don't place our hope on the things of this world. Notice already, we notice there in verse 21, that as a result of our redemption, we place our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this aspect, we need to be Reminded over and over and over again that our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, we, uh, my, in the, wife, the car that my wife drives, Emily drives, there's a DVD player, came with it. We didn't buy it because of it, but came with it. Our kids are all grown. Now, the little screen that comes from the bottom. And our grandson, who's almost two, figured out we had that. And the DVD that's in the car is Finding Nemo. So he sees our car and he eventually he immediately says, he starts saying Nemo, 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 because he wants to watch the car. The, the, we're not sure how it works, so we start pressing buttons and, and it eventually works and the scene comes down and starts playing, but it tends to always start from the beginning. So we've, we've, the first 15 minutes of Nemo, we, we have it memorized. <laughs> I almost forgot how scary it is to begin with. But remember the, the, uh, the, the major supporting actor in Nemo? Her name is? Dory. And what's the problem with Dory? Short-term memory issues, right? She can't remember the stuff. And we are often like Dory when, we, when it comes to where our hope is. We, are, we have a mission. We have a place to go. But we keep forgetting that, that that's what we're doing. And we keep on being distracted by the things in the journey that takes us away from the path that we are on. So, brothers and sisters, remember that our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is coming. And that's where we're going. That's our journey. That's our north star that keeps us going in the right direction. And these three mind actions are supported by two behavior actions in verses 14 through 16, 14 through 17. Notice that there is no divorce in Peter's mind between thinking and actions, between believing and doing, between faith and practice. Those who believe think, and those who think do. Those things go together. 
And he says that we are to be holy in all our lives because that is your identity through Jesus Christ. In verse 16, well, 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Conduct here means the way of life. There's both an eternal and external pressure for us to conform back into a mold that we no longer fit because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Kids, have you ever... I don't know if they still exist, but there used to be these little things, sometimes were in the form of, a, of an egg or something else. There might be a little dinosaur inside that's funny and put in the water and it would dissolve and poof, poof, poof pop up something. Did anybody see that? Very you can raise your hand. There. Okay, Lily has seen those. I'm certain that But, so those pop up and you have this big thing. Sometimes even a towel, there's one that's a towel that comes up. And it's impossible to put it back where it was. It's like, also when you can't, it's like me trying to fit my old clothes. It just doesn't fit. You can't go back in there. But that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's the pressure for us to do as Christians, to, form, to fit into what we don't fit anymore, which is the ways of the world. But that pressure is there. And we feel that. And sometimes we try to squeeze into the stuff that we don't feel anymore. And we're called not to do that. We're called to be holy. So instead of allowing ourselves to be pushed back into what no longer fits, our life is to be marked by the likeness of God. Be holy for I am holy, Peter says. And the second action is that we, in verse 17, we're to conduct ourselves in the, in, in the life, in the fear of the Lord. In verse 17, he says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In the original language, the word fear hangs by itself at the end of the verse. The uh, the ESV, they rearranged to make a little more English sense. But fear is at the end there. But even though it, it hangs by itself there at the end, we know from the analogy of the scriptures that this is the fear of the Lord. We are to call to live in the fear of the Lord. And this is important, important to notice because Peter speaks of this life as a time of our exile. See there again in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We live in the fear of God now. And this time is a time of exile. Again, Old Testament imagery, right? Remember, the exile is to be in a place that's not your place, that's not your land. He actually uses the word that means stay as a foreigner or as a visitor. I'm a foreigner. You probably already noticed the accent. You know, um, I'm a foreigner. I was born and raised in Brazil. And I've been here for 31 years. And yet, most people still treat me as somebody who doesn't belong here. That's the nature of being a foreigner. You are not from here. This is not your place. You don't belong with these people. That's how we naturally behave. And that's, so Peter is using that imagery to help us understand that's exactly how we should feel on this earth. We should not be so comfortable in this life. We should not feel like you belong as much in this life because it is a passing through. We're just going by. It's like Israel wanting to live in the desert, instead of going to the promised land. The desert was only satisfactory because it was 
the means by which you're going to get into the promised land. So, to put in terms that we might understand, this life is a camping trip. Who likes camping here? You're lying. <laughs> Maybe the Putmans have an RV that they can go in their RV and it's comfortable and so on. No, no I'm, I'm joking. People like camping. Camping can be fun. Why? Because you have a home to go back to, right? <laughs> yeah. Not because you're going to stay forever. Camping. camping. A camping trip is fun. But it's mostly uncomfortable. And Peter's making that comparison, an analogy between our lives as Christians and the time that Israel were sojourning as foreigners on the way to the promised land, living in tents. That was acceptable because it's leading somewhere else. And this life is going to be uncomfortable because it's not a final destination. And if this life is super comfortable for you, that you just cannot think of, of how you could live apart from this life, that you're so in love with this life, it's time to look at your heart and see where your allegiances are. We should expect discomfort in this life. This life is also uncomfortable because we are citizens of another land and of another time. There's a man by the name of, a, of a Jonathan Lehman, not related to the Lehmans that you might know, but he writes a lot in political, about political science. He's a Christian. He says that the, the church is made of all these individuals that were, they are time travelers, as it were. We are transported from a future kingdom to now. And we behave in ways that are consistent with that future kingdom, not with this. And because of that, there is discomfort in this life. So, because of that, we live in the fear of the Lord. That is, we conduct ourselves in a way that is consistent with whom our Lord is. And this fear is not the fear of eternal judgment, because we already know, and John, in 1 John 5, assures us of that, that love covers all fears. And there, in the context of John, is the fear of eternal judgment. We don't have to wonder if God is going to accept us in the final judgment because it accepted us in Jesus Christ. This, is, this fear is a realization that God cares about how we live our daily lives. God is not removed. He's, he cares about how we are conducting ourselves in our daily lives. We are his children. And he cares how we care, conduct ourselves in our daily lives. And he judges according to each one's work. He's aware of what we're doing, and he holds us accountable for that. So this fear is much like a fear that we might have of a parent who has authority over us, and for our own good, might discipline us for, for that. I, and you've got to say, okay, that explains a lot of things. I was never spanked in my life. My parents didn't believe, didn't believe that, right? And... But some of you maybe grew up in more godly families than mine, and perhaps mom said, just wait till dad comes home. <laughs> now, we had some friends that the kids would beg for the dad to spank, because mom spanked harder. But that's not usually the case, right? Maybe it is in some, some places here. But, and, and there's fear, right? And that apprehension that comes, oh no, I have to wait till dad comes home. Not usually because dad hates me, but because dad cares for me, and he cares for mom, and he's going to deal with me. So that's the kind of fear that we're here. 
we are being redeemed by the blood of, of Christ and are now His, so we don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to worry about the present. But we know that God cares, so we live in reverent awe before Him because we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So, how do we live this all out? What is the take-home here? If you're an unbeliever with us here today, and the Lord Jesus Christ says in His visible church there's always wheat and tear. So I never assume that in any congregation, including the one I serve, that everybody that are members, everybody that's present, are all true believers in Jesus Christ. So if you're an unbeliever in our midst today, you are still a slave to your aimless, purposeless, sinful life. You have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, so his blood does not cover you. So the fear you have is the fear of eternal judgment and separation from God. You are in a dangerous place. So you must come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must do it now. There's no reason to postpone that. There's no reason to delay that. You don't have to think about it. It's one of those things that you do it for for your own sake. For the sake of your soul. And if you don't understand what I've been talking about, come and talk to me afterwards. Come and talk to, to Quentin. Come and talk to Tim. Come and talk to, to uh, somebody else next to you. Go talk to the person sitting next to you. But don't leave here today without knowing what this is that we're talking about. Now, for you who are a believer, brother, sister, you have been purchased by the blood of Christ. And you have been made a citizen of another age citizen of another kingdom. So hold the things of this life very loosely. Because they're going to go away. So don't hold to them like this. Which kids you like this? necessary for us. Let him keep it with us if he feels necessary for us to have them. And as you do that, your ability to be content and satisfied in this life will skyrocket. And you're actually able to love people in a way that you wouldn't be able to do before. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to give yourselves to the mastery of anyone or anything, because you have been freed from all masters to serve the only master, 
But you need to serve him. You're not freed not to serve. You're liberated from your sins so that you can serve him. Freedom and service are two sides of the same coin. And lastly, fear him and him only. Not the people around you. And it would be great if you could later today take a time to, to inventory your life. What are the things that I fear in my life? What are the, usually it's going to be the things that you're holding tight to. It's going to be the things that you think my life end, it would end if this was gone. And when you inventory that and find what those things are, release them. And just embrace Christ, who to know a right is life eternal. And that life that God describes that he has for us is not just life. I came that they might have life. What kind of life? Abundant life. That's what our Lord has for us. If we embrace him above everything else. Let us pray together.